Welcome to the world of digital sound. Hey there, good people of the internet. Welcome, welcome to this podcast story. This is the first one of these that I've done in 2015 and uh, the first one I've done in a very, very long time. If you are not familiar, guys, with the podcast stories, what I suggest you do is you go over to YouTube forward slash Ken and check out the existing podcast stories. There are hundreds of them on there covering uh, what is what was my life between uh, being a young lad to... Growing up, learning a few things back in the day, back in Coventry. What we did, what we didn't do, the laws we broke, the laws we bent, and the lies we led. Now, there is a disclaimer uh, that I need to just uh, give you at the front of this one, which is that all, some, none of, or any of this may or may not be true. The characters are also possibly fictional, maybe not. I'm not... (laughs) It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think any part or all of this podcast is in any way true. And leave your comments in the comments section on the video. This one is going straight up on YouTube. Um, Yeah, okay. So, why are we doing this podcast story now? A, uh, there's been a lot of pressure being put on me to record some more podcasts uh, from a lot of people. (laughs) And when you think, you know, so many people are, are like trying to get me to do podcasts and I'm, you know, I'm saying, well, they don't get that many views, but they just seem to have this dedicated following out there. You, the faithful, um, who are the dedicated followers of the podcast. So anyway, I would encourage uh, the more views these get, the more I'll make. So, you know, up to you. You want to share them, you want to tweet them and Facebook them and YouTube them. Please feel free. And uh, I will potentially make some more. I've probably got probably got three of these that I'd like to do. This one has been quite difficult because I've had to change a few things. I've had to change the location because people are going to be able to trace back because an awful lot of this was in the papers, <laughs> especially the local papers. And I've changed the names, but... I think those involved will know who I'm talking about. And there were a lot of people involved. So let's kick off. Let's uh, let's start this one. This one is called Gypsies. Um, I don't know if I've already made one called Gypsies. I've made hundreds of these now, so I don't know. I should go back and check, really, but I can't be bothered. Um, one day, you know, somebody has got to put these in a book. Somebody has got to write these up. Anyway, um, Gypsies. Now... This is about my mate Lee, and Lee lived in Bedworth. Uh, he was a college dropout. He was came from a really good family, uh, really nice. His old man was a, a guy that worked at the Jaguar factory, and he was um, you know an engineer. He was a white coat guy. His mum was a nurse. And, uh, you know, he he really did come from a very, very good family. He had a sister called Mandy, and that's how I knew him. Because Mandy got engaged to my mate, Matty B. And Matty B was one of the boys. Matty B was one of the guys that we met at the weekends and we met at the pubs and would turn up at my flat and just go, oh, and then just kip on the floor. <laughs> 
<laughs> Matty B. He was a good-looking lad, but he wasn't... Oh, God, can I say this? Matty, Matty I'm sorry, mate. He wasn't the brightest spark in the world. <laughs> He's going to hate me for that. But he wasn't. He just wasn't. Anyway, um, so, Matty B and Mandy. Matty B and Mandy met at the nightclub Park Lane, right, in Coventry. And uh, they got on really well. She was a really nice girl. He was a really nice guy on the front of it, you know. And uh, they went out together for a year, possibly a year. And there was a lot of distance between Matty's professional life, what he did for a living, and his personal life. He managed to segregate the thing very, very well. He very rarely brought Mandy into contact with any of us for a start. And he certainly didn't discuss what we did to make money. So as far as Mandy was concerned, Matty was uh, self-employed and he was something to do with cars. I guess she assumed he was a salesman or something. What she didn't know was that he was a repo man like the rest of us. And uh, everything was absolutely great with... um, with Matty and Mandy for a, a very, very long time. Uh, their engagement party was a blast. We had their engagement party at the Devere, right? Which I don't even know if it still exists. It was a big hotel in the middle of Coventry. And it was a blast. I mean, it was brilliant. We had a DJ. We had um, uh, some pro dancers that somebody knew came down and got the ball rolling. We drank, we sang, we danced. It was a brilliant, brilliant event. And we were all on our best behaviour. Absolutely all of us on our best behaviour. We were suited and booted. And we looked the part. We felt the part. All the girls, I mean, it was great. A great night with the girls. They they spent about a month beforehand going out and buying the very nicest dresses they could possibly find. They were really going to get their shit together. It was like, It was like, you know how girls are these days with the prom dress. That's how it was. That's how it was. And uh, a couple of the girls went down to London. Some of them went to Birmingham. And they just found, like, the best, best dresses. And, you know, we were really dressed up. We weren't in tuxedos, but we were all in suits. And I've got to tell you that Mandy's mum and dad were really impressed. (laughs) They were seriously impressed with the sort of guys that they were hanging around with. Until that night... We um, we did Busters, which was a nightclub. And we knew that we were going to do Part Lane. We knew that Matty was going to be there because he told us. He wasn't coming to Busters, but him and Mandy were going to do Part Lane. And we did, um, we did Busters till about midnight and then went over to Part Lane for the last two hours. And uh, while we were inside, there was some ridiculous businessman type uh, I mean he wasn't an old bloke but he was a young yuppie type guy you know oh come and look at my Porsche oh darling darling you know and he was drinking champagne he had his mates with him and they were being loud obnoxious and a real pain in the ass. I mean we had a booth and uh it was it was that much of a distraction that we moved and we went to the bar and 
Matty was with us and Mandy was with us and we were all having a beer. And then Mandy went to the toilet and she went with one of the girls we were with. And um, the girl that we were with came back over to us and she just went, uh, Matty, Matty, Matty. And he turned around and she pointed towards where Mandy was. And Mandy was being physically accosted by one of these drunken yuppies. And he he had his hands around her waist and was dancing with her, right? Um, he, was, he was around the back of her. He wasn't at the front of her. He was around the back of her and he grabbed her around the waist and just started dancing and then kissing her ear and stuff. And she was she was fighting him off, you know. She was saying, get the fuck off me and stuff, you know. Well, we, we kind of... We, it was a foregone conclusion, wasn't it? Matty went apeshit. And as he went over to where this guy was, um, Matty smacked his bowl on the uh, on a table and stuck it into the back of this guy's head. And as the guy came backwards, Matty punched him maybe six or seven times so fast that it was over before I even got to where they were. And uh, obviously this guy's mates got up. They grabbed whatever they could. Uh, one of them grabbed a champagne bowl, empty champagne bowl. And um, he hit Matty with it. Well, all hell broke loose. Um, bouncers were there like phew, seconds. As they were in Park Lane in those days. I mean, the bouncers were everywhere. Christ. And it was just an incredible thing to watch, you know. It, it, the, the bouncers knew us, so they they went for the yuppies. And we'd already restrained the yuppies. But um, the guy that was on the floor with his head covered in claret, um, he was unconscious. And uh, Matty had grabbed Mandy, who was clearly in shock. And one of this yuppie's mates was comforting him and saying, you fucking animal, you fucking animal, what you fucking done, you fucking animal, and all this. And Matty let go of Mandy and just walked over. And, the, I mean, the guy that was comforting his mate was on his knees. And Matty kicked him in the face. Oh, fucking hell. Well, his face exploded. And... Uh, the bouncers grabbed Matty. Matty fought to get back at this guy. And even though the guy who grabbed Mandy was unconscious on the floor, he stomped him twice. Now, even from our point of view, that was bad. Even with our standards, we would never, ever have done that. It was just a ridiculous thing to do. Uh, police turn up, ambulance turns up, um, turns out that the yuppies, one of them, his relative of some description, was an inspector with the local police force, and one of the other yuppies, his father was a magistrate, and one of the other yuppies, 
had his, had a lawyer for his dad. Fucking great. So we all got nicked. All of us. I personally didn't do anything. The only thing that I did was get try to get between um, the yuppies who were kicking off and Mandy because she was in the, still in the middle of this as the fighting was going on around her. And I, I just kind of grabbed her and got her out of the way before anything happened to her. Um, there's cameras. So we were locked up. We spent the night, we were questioned. Following morning, we were questioned. Midday, copper comes in. <coughs> says, uh, Burton, you're out. And I left the cell. And uh, at the front of the cop shop, Little Park Street, there's half the boys, three quarters of the boys that were with us. The only people that had got nicked. Matty had got nicked. Uh, Tomo had got nicked. And uh, I can't remember who else got nicked. But there, there were three that got nicked. Um, Matty had been charged with grievous bodily harm. Um, and I think the two of the lads got assault. But they'd been charged as well. So we organised our friendly lawyer to get down and get them out and uh, they appeared following day they appeared before the magistrates um, and they were all given bail now the guy with the glass in his head had got cuts to the back of his head to his neck um, quite nasty cuts he got a broken jaw broken nose he got a fractured eye socket and I think that was about it. The guy Matty had kicked had got a shattered jaw, uh, which means it's multiple breaks. The actual jaw had broken in multiple places. And apart from that, there was a couple of uh, black eyes and, and bruises, you know, from various other people. So um, we all went back to my flat. We picked Matty up from the neck and we all went back to my flat. And there was a phone call. And uh, it was Mandy. And she she said, just tell Matty I don't want to see him. And I said, no, would you speak to him? No, no, I'm not speaking to him. I'm, I'm never speaking to him. Just tell him it's over, it's finished. Um, I was like, well, that's not really for me to tell him that. You know, that needs to come from you. And she said, well, I'm not talking to him. And then her dad took the phone. And he said to me, Ken, do not let that man anywhere near my home. If he comes anywhere near us, I will call the police. She is scared to death of him. She's never seen that level of violence. She never wants to see it again. It's finished. So I told Matty. Well, let's go further on, shall we? Let's go a little bit further on to the point where Matty 
is in Birmingham Crown Court. And Matty has been sentenced to 18 months. It was a blow. It really was a blow. He was going to Winston Green. Um, we kind of figured that he should do six months. Good behaviour, all the rest of it. He should do six months. Keeps his nose clean. And he was okay, you know. He, he did quite well inside. There was no contact. He never, Matty never contacted Mandy again from the point of that phone call to me in my flat. I mean, the girls went around to see her and they said, you know, forget it, there's no hope. No, but Matty didn't, he didn't even attempt to get her back. Didn't even try. And that was something that I think many men would have found very, very difficult. But he had enough about him, he had enough pride, and he had enough love for her to respect her wishes. So, turns out, Matty was out in six months. And when he came out, we had a big party, and he was out on licence, and... Uh, Oh, Tommy had got, um, Tommy and the other guy, actually, I think they'd both got suspended. Uh, so they didn't do time anyway. But um, Matty was the only one who did bird for it. Uh, and it was just, it was great to have him back. Like he'd never been away. If anything, he was in better condition when he came out than he was when he was in there. Because all he did when he was in there was lift weights. That's all he did. He passed his time by lifting weights. And working as much as he could. Um, he he read a lot. Which is a bit of a surprise. But, to, I mean, Bird changes people, you know. Bird makes you feel that way. You have to fill your day. You have to find a way to get through the day. And for a lot of people, it's different. A lot of people... A lot of people will masturbate five times a day. A lot of people will go and talk to other people uh, all the time, get into uh, population and talk, um, you know, play cards or whatever. And then there's guys like Matty who will just stay in his own head and do his own bird in his own way. And you've got to admire him for that, really. But he did it. He did his bird when he was out. Uh, we had a great time. We we had um, oh god, we had many trips out. We we took in places. There was a new club opening in Birmingham. We went there. Um, we all went down to London, and it, it was a couple of weeks. And he was back repoing with us. So you know, it's like he never left. And he was a he was a happier person. He was a content person when he came out and during his trial I really feared that he wasn't going to make it through that but he did um fuck was he big I mean <laughs> you think some of these kids now they go on steroids and you know there's a couple of months and they're on steroids and all of a sudden they grow Matty grew but he was fast with it as well you know 
He really was very, very fit. And uh, we drank a lot of beer. We drank a lot of wine. We danced a lot. We messed around a lot. It was great to have him back. So, skip another three months. And we are all in my flat. It's three o'clock in the morning. We're all very much worse for wear. <laughs> there are probably six of us. There are probably nine girls there. And we're all just drinking and listening to music and the girls are dancing and, you know, phone rings and somebody picks it up and he can't hear what's being said on the other end because it's um, <laughs> it's so noisy in the flat. <laughs> I'm surprised the neighbours put up with it. Oh, But um, I can't remember who it was that took the call either. Anyway, he said... Guys, turn the noise down. Turn the noise down. Turn the noise down. And we're all going, ah, fuck off. You know, turn the noise down. Right, okay, so turn the noise down real quiet. And he's going, actually, it was Damien that took the call. It was. And he's going, guys, guys, shut up, shut up. Hello? Hello? I can't hardly hear you. Matty? Yeah, who is it? And then he just fucking went white and looked at us. And, he, and Matty was stood there looking confused. And he said, Matty, Mandy is on the phone. And he looked at me and he went, you take it. And so I grabbed the phone. I said, Mandy? And all I could hear were sobs and cries and noise and it was really it was so difficult to hear what she was saying I said Mandy calm down just calm down take a breath tell me what's going on and she said she was at the George Elliot hospital she was with Lee now we knew Lee was her brother and he's on a life support machine and all she kept saying was, I need Matty. I need Matty. And so I looked at Matty and I said, she needs you. Whatever capacity, she needs you. And he looked at me and he, he just walked to the phone, grabbed the phone. And he said, Mandy, whatever you need, tell me what you need. And then he put the phone down after about two or three minutes. And he said, boys, I need a van with a sober driver and 10 guys in it. And we went, right, didn't hesitate. Just right. Made a phone call to one of the boys that hadn't come out with us that night. And he was sober, luckily. Got him out of bed. 
And we said to him, get a van, get around the flat as fast as you can. And he did. He was there within 35 minutes. We always had a van available to us. Always. Well, we got told. Um, took a little took a little while because we had to... I mean, my, my gear was in my flat, but um, we had to go to a couple of other places to pick up the boys' gear. We all got told. We got ready. We got in the van. Went out to the George Elliott Hospital, which is in Nuneaton. And surprisingly, considering how much we'd all had to drink, we were all very, very sober. And we didn't say a word in the van. Not a single word. We took one of the girls with us who was quite friendly with Mandy uh, before it all kicked off the year before and uh, we waited in reception in George Elliot um, and um, Mandy came out she met up with Matty and the girl that we had with us and the two of them went off uh, came back about 30 minutes later and then Matty told us the story. And it went like this. Lee, who, um, as I said, was a college dropout. He'd been going from job to job. He was doing a bit of buying and selling. He was buying cars, doing them up in his spare time and selling them on and stuff. Had had a visit from... Um, uh, some guys who said they wanted all three of the cars that Matty had at that uh, that Lee had at that time, and um, they wanted to write him a check. Well, Lee's not stupid, and he told them to fuck off. So they took the logbooks and uh, they forged a receipt. And they took the cars and left Matty with a slap and a check. And then they uh, they went and um, Matt, uh, Lee went apeshit. Lee wanted to find out who these guys were, what they were doing. And so he asked his mates in the area in Bedford to keep their eyes open for these cars. But he did recognise that the guys had got serious Jippo accents. They were Jippos, gypsies. But they weren't proper gypsies, I mean, they were travellers. And these travellers, um, he discovered very, very quickly, had camped just outside Bedford. Bedford. Bedworth, sorry, God's sake. I always get those two mixed up. One of them's just down the road. And so he went down to have a look, and sure enough, his cars were there with for sale signs in the window. 
And um, he went in to the camp and told the guys he was calling the police. So he had the living shit kicked out of him by these travellers. I mean, they didn't just fuck him up. People were surprised he lived. That's how bad he was. He got a um, fractured skull. Uh, he got a burst lung, internal bleeding, broken ribs. His face was unrecognisable. And Matty told us that Mandy wanted them dealt with and wanted the cars back and wanted somebody to pay. Well, the hospital had called the police and the police had been out or they were going out to the camp. They'd interviewed Matty, who could barely talk. And he'd given them a rough idea of what had happened. And well, Anyway, the police went down the following day, and we had all gone home. Sober up, nothing we could do about it until the police are out there. Following day came. Uh, the girl that was helping us out, she stayed with Mandy, and she phoned us and said the cops have been to the Jippo camp. The Jippos have told him that this guy, um, that these Jippos had legitimately bought the car off, had turned up, started demanding stuff, and uh, that he'd then got violent and had to be restrained. And while he was being restrained, um, he basically tripped and hit his head. He was pushed and fell into a <laughs> fell over the bonnet of a car. And they, they come up with all sorts of bullshit. And very, very kindly, the cops did what the cops do best. They said, "It's six of one, half a dozen of the other." We can't prove anything. It's your word against his. You've got injuries. Some of the gypsies have got injuries. Don't know how the gypsies got injuries, but there you go. Probably they just found one of the gypsies that had been in a fight the night before and said that he was the one that got out. And there was nothing they could do. So we decided we were going to go and do something. So between us, we got back in a minibus. This was the day after the police had arrived. And we went to see the gypsies. When the van turned up, our van, we got out. There were probably 15 caravans. Probably a few more. And um, some guy came out. Obviously obviously the leader of this particular traveller group and with a very broad Irish accent 
asked if he could help us. And we said, yeah, we want those three cars back. And we want whoever kicked the fuck out of our mate. And then he just turned around and nodded back to one of the caravans. Next thing we saw were six, seven guys coming out of caravans. All with shotguns. Every single one of them had a shotgun. Pointing it in our direction. And then this leader of these travellers suggested that we left before anyone else gets hurt. We had no choice. We weren't going to get into a firefight. I don't think we were even told. Maybe a couple of us were. So we got back in the van and we left. Well, it was difficult knowing what to do and how to do it without starting a gunfight in a traveller camp with men, women and children all sleeping in these caravans. We knew that if we were going to do this, we had to be a little bit smart about it. So what we did was we got another friend of ours who lived in Bedworth to go and ask around the local pubs and see where these jippos drank, where these travellers drank. And as it happens, we did find a pub. I won't mention which one. And the landlord was very, very cooperative because he didn't want these fuckers in there as much as we, as much as anyone else didn't. So he was really forthcoming. Saturday nights. He said, Saturday nights, none of the locals come and drink here now on a Saturday because the place is full of these fucking travellers wrecking the place. Being obnoxious, being noisy, being violently aggravating. So we thought, okay, that'll do. And uh, we got our shit together and planned what we were going to do. And then a funny thing happened. I got a phone call. And it was basically from a low-end member of the family. And if you don't know who the family were, then go back and listen to the podcasts. And he said to me, uh, Saturday night. And I said, ah, need to stop you there. Already busy. He said, yeah, I'm aware that you're busy. And uh, I wonder if before you go off and do what you're doing, I, I want to face to face. So we went, okay. And I was thinking, fuck. Do, do the family do business with these pikies? Is that what's going to happen? We're going to find out the travellers do business with these, with these bloody, with the family. And if that's the case, we're going to be warned off. We can't go near them with a barge pole. Anyway, I went down with my mate and we went down to see the guy and we were expecting um, to be warned off. And we were deciding what we were going to say and more importantly, what we were going to say to Mandy. We met at the warehouse where we we often did meet and out the uh, portal cabin in the corner came this guy 
closely followed by the nephew, one of the nephews. And it's not often you get an actual face-to-face -face with an actual member of the family, especially somebody in his position who was relatively high up, really. He wouldn't normally talk to us. And they came over to us and they said, so what's happening on Saturday? And we said, now look, and we tried to explain, and he just said, look, I'm not, I'm not fucking interested, right? I'm not interested in the story. Just tell me what's happening on Saturday. I said, okay, uh, there's probably 10 of us, maybe a few more if we can get it. And we're going around in a minibus, and uh, we're going to be in a car park, in a pub. A bunch of guys are going to come in, and we are going to take them out. In the interim, there's going to be another carload of guys who are going to go into a camp and retrieve three vehicles. And he said, okay, so how do you think this is going to play out? I said, well, what do you mean? So, well, are you going tooled? I said, yeah, of course going tooled. He said, are they going tooled? So well, we don't know if they're going tooled, but they're hardly likely to take shotguns into a pub. Right. So it's going to be fighting. Yeah, it's probably going to be fighting. Okay. He said, then you guys are not the right people for the job, are you? So, well, how do you mean? So, look, you're talking about a bunch of travellers. These aren't piss pussies. These guys, you know, live off their wits. They fight every day. You know, any of you guys fighters? I said, well, a couple of us are pretty handy, yeah. I said, well, a couple of you ain't going to cut it. You need a whole team of people that can do this job without having to pull a fucking gun out. And if you want to teach these guys, then you're going to teach them. And if you want to teach them they can't come into this area, then you need to teach them properly. A lesson they're never going to forget. That ain't you guys. And I said, well, what do you suggest? He said, send the boys from the gym. <laughs> there were three gyms in Coventry at that time, owned by the family. The gyms had... They were, well, they were the sort of places that the bouncers worked out. All the bouncers in the local clubs, a lot of the Birmingham bouncers, anybody that worked security, a lot of the guys that worked security for the family, they all went to these gyms. They were full of very, very handy guys. And some women, I might add. And I said... And... You'd give your blessing to that? He said, yeah, of course I would. These fucking travellers can't come in to this area, steal fucking cars, beat people up, put people in hospital, and expect they're going to fucking walk away from it. This is not their ground. I don't know what is their ground, but they're not coming here and thinking they can do this shit on my ground. And I said, I totally agree. Right, well, Saturday night, you can go and get the cars. We'll take care of the guys in the pub. I said, uh, can I make a request? 
So what's that? So one of the guys that's with us, Matty, Matty B, he needs to be on the uh, pub team. He said he's the guy that did Bird, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Meet, meet us at the pub. Just him. The rest of you go and get the cars. Saturday night came. I couldn't believe my fucking ears. I'd organised this with the boys. Told them, forget the pub scene. Everything's taken care of. We're just going to go and get the cars. There's three cars to pick up. Um, we probably need six of us to do that. So we'll go in two cars. Well, the volunteers came thick and fast to be the six. Matty was more than happy to be on the pub team. And Saturday night came. We were going to go at nine o'clock. At six o'clock, we were all in Bedford. We were all at Lee's house. Um, his parents were at the hospital, but Mandy was there. And I said to Mandy, I'm more than just a little surprised, you know, your hatred for violence. I'm just more than a little surprised. And she said, this is my family. This is my brother. And they nearly killed him. I want to see them burn. And so I pointed out to her that it's slightly hypocritical that the one person you call was the guy that did time for you. Not through your fault, but he did time for you. And she said, yeah. We hung around, we waited about half eight. There were phone calls to and fro. Everyone was in position. We spoke to Matty. Matty said, the minibuses are here. And I said, what minibuses? How many minibuses? He said, there's three. I said, you're fucking joking. How many people are there? He said, well, put it this way. There's about 15 people in each minibus. Fuck me. The family had sent 45 people. 45 big fuck off brick shit house hard people to go and deal with these jippos. Jippos arrived. They're all in the pub. The barman and the landlord then shut the pub. The jippos went absolutely apeshit. But they were told to leave. That there was an electrical fault. That the beer wasn't flowing. They weren't allowed to do this. Weren't allowed, made all sorts of excuses. 
So the gypsies came out the back of the pub into the car park. Now the reason they came out the back was they were told that that's where they'd have to go because the front doors would have to be bolted. It's the law. Again, more bullshit by the landlord. They went out the back of the pub and there were, according to what Matty said anyway, 45 guys and him all stood there. The travellers just kind of took a second and then they rushed these guys and the fight broke out. Well, Matty said that there were probably 30 of them and within 10 minutes, not one of them was standing. Not a single one of them. Yeah, there'd been injuries. Our side, there'd been injuries. But not a single one of them was standing. And the guy with the biggest mouth, the guy who was supposedly supposedly the leader of these travellers, was put into the back of one of these minibuses. And the rest of the guys scattered. Now, we, on on the other hand, had our own problems because um, traveller women are just as tough as the men. And if you want to ask me whether or not we drew the short straw, I think we probably did. They are nasty, vicious bitches. They came out, as soon as we started taking the cars, they came out fighting. And uh, we just went straight in, grabbed the cars... And we're out of there. And there were shots fired from the shotguns. And these were the women. And probably the kids as well. Christ knows. Rocks were being hurled at the cars. The back window went in on the on the uh, Cortina I was driving. Um, the Escort got a hit at the back. And the boot opened. It was bloody ridiculous. There were shots fired from all directions. We tried to be stealthy. (laughs) We tried. And we'd kind of done this by sneaking around to where these cars were. And it was out of sight. No one was outside. So, but as soon as we started the cars up, they came out with the guns. Anyway, we uh, made a clean getaway. No injuries. Damage, but no injuries. And... uh, we drove to the pub. The pub was only literally five minutes down the road and uh, because the the travellers had walked there. And when we got there, most of the travellers had gone. They'd headed back towards the camp. A lot of them nursing some quite disturbing wounds. I got there just in time to see... The head traveller have a pair of um, gardening shears put to his finger and being told, every time you come back to this city, this area, 
every time any one of us sees or hears about you, you're going to lose a limb. Today, it's going to be a finger. Next time, it'll be a hand. Time after that, it'll be an arm. And squirming as he did, they cut his finger. They cut his index finger. And he screamed. And they gave him a little bit of rag. And one of the boys picked up his finger and threw it in the bushes. And they just said to him, Now go. And the guy went. I'm, I'm absolutely amazed that they left him. That the leader of the travellers, all the other travellers, just fucking ran. After they'd been beaten up, they just licked it. Outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, outfought, and they fucking legged it. And left their leader to that. Well, as it happens, Lee did make a recovery. And he was okay. And in fact, some people that we knew put a bit of work his way after his recovery. Made sure that he was okay. About a year after that, he went back to college, carried on his uh, engineering degree. Uh, a change man, a more enlightened man. And Mandy, by the time a year had passed after that incident, married Matty. And Matty quit the game. He quit the game. He ended up working in a factory uh, that was owned by a friend of Mandy's dad. Um, got a site foreman role. And uh, did okay. I don't think... I don't think I... I don't think I spoke to Matty again until about two years after that. Uh, because a friend of ours died and he turned up to the funeral. He was doing really well, you know, he was driving a nice car. Um, they got a baby on the way. He got a nice house in the area. Um, and his life was turned around. And that is why the family were a necessary part of life at that time. I don't know what would have happened if we'd have gone it alone. I think people would have died. I think shots would have been fired. And I think possibly some of us would have gone to jail for it. But when Matty makes, or when any of us makes a call, for help you don't turn your back you can't turn your back it's not what friendship is all about you 
You respond. You act. You don't think. You act. And think later. Friendships like that, very few and far between, especially between groups. But that's who we were. We were a unit. We were we were a collective. I'm really, really pleased that Matty did what he did. <clears throat> and was able to leave the game get into a normal life, a real life. Yeah, he didn't make shitloads of money probably and I don't know if he missed it. The life, the adrenaline rush of the life. But I think he um, he made the right call. As did some others after that. It was a life lesson to me to the people we hung around with and certain life lessons are lessons that you carry with you for the rest of your days I often put myself in his shoes what would happen today if it was me in that nightclub and it was Heather being grabbed. Would I react any different? I'm not sure I would. In fact, I probably wouldn't stop until the fucker stopped breathing. That's a scary thought. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this one. This one is called Gypsies. This has been Ken. This has been a podcast story. And please leave your comment in the comment section. I'll see you on the dark side. Take care. Shutting down all systems.